Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. David Duwalde, the man with the plan for giving left org some infrastructure, that is. <laughs> David, a self-professed process troll, has been rolling up his sleeves for over a decade with labor unions, DSA, and our revolution. But before he gave his life to fortifying the left's capacity, he was just a moody kid growing up on the Upper West Side. We are still on location <laughs> uh, in New York City, uh, down in the uh, the borough of Brooklyn today to speak with none other than David, David Dualde, um, who is, uh, he wears many hats. One of the hats that he wore was uh, to um, to get us, ah, don't say it that way, to, to, to help to help us erect the structure uh, for our revolution, um, which um, has has become a force on the political scene. Um, he's also an organizer, uh, but we, and you're a member of DSA, is that yeah. correct? Okay, um, but we will be speaking to another hero today, uh, David Dualde. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you for asking. I'm really Why excited. are you getting bashful now that I'm recording? Get out of here. He's like, I'm good. Uh, how are you doing? I am good. <laughs> you're funny. Uh, I'm good. I am uh, excited to talk about the experiences I've had at both the Democratic Social America and our revolution yeah. and everything in between. And I look forward to all your hard-hitting questions. Oh, get out of here. Get me fired up. Yeah. Okay, there we go. We <laughs> we stand a fired-up king. Um, <laughs> uh, where did you grow up, David? So I grew up not far from... From where you and I are sitting, but in another mighty borough of uh, money-making Manhattan. Hey, um, <laughs> and I lived there uh, for my whole childhood. I left uh, for college, but I grew up um, in the Upper West Side. Actually, um, my block is around the corner from where President Obama lived for two years uh, mm. when he was at Columbia. So you can like on my parents' roof, you can see. Columbia University. So it's like this interesting nexus of like the university, um, historically Irish, that became a Dominican neighborhood. And also um, just the, what you kind of traditionally associate with the Upper West Side of kind of very liberal Jewish uh, folks. And so it's a really interesting place to grow up. It's kind of like it's an interesting path of like I think which we'll we'll touch upon later on, like how segregated New York is, mm -hmm. but also in this oddly integrated way where you can still meet people from different walks of life. Yeah. Um, but in the end up, you end up getting put on these very different paths. And so my folks, you know, were, were moved to the neighborhood because there was a program 
uh, set up by Mayor Edward Koch, uh, call him Ed Koch, um, who did this what's called urban homesteading, uh-huh. where they had lots of abandoned buildings where they're either the landlords are going to burn them down anyway for the insurance money or yeah. they just didn't care anymore. And so the city found people to take over them and form co-ops, mm-hmm. which was kind of a which kind of influenced a lot of like my socialist perspectives later on where my parents were leftists. So they got together with other leftists, uh, mostly if not all, even if like there are people like my mom who are Americans, they, they were Americans with like Aladdin partner. Uh, so the building was called La Lucha, which means in Spanish, the struggle. Yeah. Um, and so they got together. And so it was very funny for me. I didn't realize probably till I was like in middle school that like, not all New Yorkers just didn't go over to their neighbors' houses to hang out all oh. the time. Because, I mean, it was like a total open door kind of community. I like knew all my neighbors by name mm-hmm. intimately. I'd gone to all their houses. It was a real collective um, environment. My dad was uh, the building president, but then I found out years later he was the building president because no one could agree on anyone but him. And he actually wasn't a very effective building president. <laughs> I mean, everyone, he, so my mother said every year he would like a good leftist, he would get denounced and then he would get unanimously reelected because no one actually wanted, trusted anyone else enough. <laughs> so I still, my parents still live there today. Um, though it's changed a lot. People have moved out. Uh, but some of my childhood friends are actually still there. <laughs> um, they haven't left. So it's a good community. Were you the only child? I was the only child. Right? Okay. And your mother... Call me, baby. <laughs> You're so ridiculous. <laughs> your mother was American, Jewish. Yeah. Your father? It was Chilean. Oh, okay. He came here for school? No, my father... So my parents met um, in, I think, 1976. So okay. my father was um, a student in Chile under... Uh, during, not under, during the time of the popular union government, which was like the democratic, socialist, communist coalition um, that existed for like only three years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the government was overthrown uh, by a military, pardon me, uh, dictatorship, uh, he came to the States about in 75. He was- As a a, refugee? Yeah, as a refugee. He was a political prisoner Mm -hmm. for a year. So he was actually, so he was like- so even though the coup was in 73, he wasn't, he didn't get into trouble until 74. Um, and for a variety of reasons, like does, not everyone got in trouble right away. I yeah, think yeah. it happened in stages. Um, so then he was almost had an opportunity to go to Mexico. Um, but he said like, oh, I think the situation will improve. And then he said, then they got beat up again. He was like, okay, it's not getting better. <laughs> yeah, um, and then so somebody came from the American embassy and they actually no one believed them <laughs> at first because they thought people thought it was actually a trick uh yeah uh, because they're like well the americans i mean it's fact i mean the americans helped overthrow the government yeah. why would they be taking yeah. people in maybe it's a trap they're like so eventually i think they had to send like a lutheran minister or somebody hmm. who had been helping <laughs> with the refugees oh. to be like no this is real yeah, yeah, so yeah. then my dad so like oh, the united states took only like a handful of folks yeah, for yeah. uh most people went to either other latin american countries or europe um especially like Scandinavia and Germany. Um, and so he ended up here. And so he ended up meeting. I actually didn't learn this till like a few weeks ago when I was reflecting. Uh, I wrote something for DSA's online magazine called the, the Democratic Left about the, about uh, how September 11th is like both 
obviously an important day in the United States, but also when the coup happened. And I found out through talking to my parents or writing this reflection on how those two days influenced me that they actually met at a protest hmm. um, for this Navy, this, uh, the, the Chilean Navy was doing a tour with La Esmeralda and the, the Emerald was the name of the naval ship. And so they was getting protested mm. across the world and they met there. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, then, and then my aunt told me, who is my my paternal uncle's wife? She was like, "Oh, I was there too." Oh, and so wow. it's this funny like nexus of all my family yeah. like meeting at this protest that right. obviously eventually led to me <laughs> uh, being here, and that's how they then so they got to know each other through that struggle because mm. my mother, uh, she native New Yorker, your mom, she's, na- she's no, she's from uh, New England, oh, okay. um, but she moved here when she was in high school. Uh, went to NYU for like a hot minute, was like <laughs> not feeling this, mm. and then went to Latin America and yeah. then she ended up so she's backpacking through Latin America ends up in Chile during the coup oh <laughs> yeah so she's but like, they did not meet in Chile they didn't meet in okay, Chile okay. Like, yeah it's incredible right so, yeah these yeah. are interesting like life overlaps yeah it's like it's so fascinating so she ended up doing a lot of she came back doing a lot of like Chile solidarity so she could talk about her experiences there mm-hmm. she uh, could also like start working with the refugee community mm-hmm. and so she and she and they both like kind of also come came from different um, routes to this to both to the labor movement. So my mother was actually also I think they were together at the time, but maybe hadn't been. But she also had worked as like a union educator and as a union organizer. Um, and then my dad still is involved in the trade union movement. So they're kind of um, so their political influence on me is very much like a DSA one where they're both like very committed to like social justice and economic democracy but also like very much like that unions will be central um to that change Did and so were you a red diaper baby i would say i would say okay. so uh-huh. i would say maybe pinkish <laughs> <laughs> i always always feel like i got to give the red uh, diaper babies got to be the real party members but yeah, yeah, like yeah. but my parents were always like dsa friendly to dsa adjacent like they, like, they were og dsaers no they weren't they were like yes and no so it depends how you define it so like but like so like i had like a dsa mug growing up that i kind of recognize like i think they still might have it but like you know they probably bought at some fundraiser they really liked people in dsa especially the people more famous people like michael harrington they really respected him um my father had worked with dsa more than my mother uh because his party by coincidence was in the Social International, which DS, DS, DSA and its predecessor organization were in too. So that's how he got to know all of these folks uh, when they were participating in Chile Solidarity, because Chile Solidarity in the United States was actually really dominated by the Communist Party. And to a certain extent, like, the, there was, a, I think it's just interesting to know, like, there was a moment in time when, like, the Communist Party really kind of relied on the U.S. one on these like international campaigns to kind of like build so like apartheid or anti-apartheid to be clear uh Chile Solidarity Angela Davis like these kind of like campaigns were kind of their lifeblood because Mm -hmm. I mean both for them and DSA there wasn't like a lot going on like and and even harder for them DSA at that time at least could like orient itself more towards like the democratic party and unions where the communist party was still like a pariah Mm. so like so for dsa to participate in chile solidarity needed people like my dad Mm -hmm. who were from these other parties Mm -hmm. uh to be involved in so i grew up knowing about dsa but they didn't they weren't active they weren't like 
if they and most would have been paper members yeah. at different times. Mm -hmm. um, Certainly, the membership wasn't as big as it is now. It wasn't as big, yeah. and especially by the time I would have been more politically conscious, it was really, yeah. really more abund. It was like I mean, like I've done like sometimes I write articles and I always do comparisons, but I'm sure. There are probably now two to three times as many DSAers in New York City mm. than there were nationally mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I was in high school. I mean, wow, I just wow, think wow. like, I mean, it's just like, so like if you're even just removing, like forget the exponential growth. I mean, it's just like you can, the, my probably my Brooklyn, the sec, the like where we are, the central Brooklyn branch probably yeah. has more activists than like DSA. Wow. Did then because it's just more dynamic yeah. organization. So it's not exactly like, even if you're sympathetic to it, if you're like, have a, if you're a busy trade unionist or an educator like my mother, it's not going to be the central thing mm -hmm. you're probably going to be doing. Gotcha. Even if you share the values of it. Sure. And that's what kind of, well, I definitely like, um, I mean, they definitely raised me with these good values. And so I kind of like, let's kind of like, would say like I was a red diaper baby in the sense that, you know, I never had this like moment that I'm always interested, like, like what you do <laughs> when you're in interviews, I'm always asked, sometimes always people, like, what radicalized you? Because I yeah. never had that moment because yeah, it was always kind of like just it was just like growing life. up like you're yeah. it's like like kind of like growing up with religion it's like you don't become yeah. like a born again like you sure, just sure, are sure. you know yeah. and so it was just like a natural kind of tra trajectory but for you. but how did you as a child how did you understand your parents politic or or ideology like how would you have described it as a child you know that's a really good question and I, I know that's why i asked I it Dobby. You know, I, I should, <laughs> everyone should be as wonderful as you <laughs> <laughs> um but i think what i would say is apropos what we were just talking about with the uh, co-op. I think what's when you're a child, like obviously most things are normal that aren't, aren't normal. Like, so like, as I was joking, like it was, I was totally shocked. Like the situation I live in now is totally normal. It's like where like in my apartment, I, I'm very friendly to my neighbors. I know one of their names only because he has a cute dog. Yeah. So I've gotten to know him. Otherwise yeah. I don't know people even if I say hello to them. Yeah. Words. My childhood, like everyone knew each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, and I think that speaks to like, and people had very similar in view of the world. And so like that people, you really wanted things to be fair and people to have enough and people not to have too, that's too how much. You, did, that's how you understood it as a child. Yeah, that's how I understood it as a child. So uh, like I like one thing, it's not, not something I work on now politically, but it's like like things that always upset me then were not like the issues I work on now uh -huh. or, or even DSA works on, but like I always felt bad like for like hungry children. Like, yeah. you know, it was like I had enough to eat and I just thought that was like so unfair, yeah. you know, and that was kind of like, those are the kind of values that my mother said she remembers me being like really upset. Mm -hmm. Like, cause you were like, you don't really have senses, especially as a kid, of people having too, too much. Like, especially if you don't grow right. up around that wealth. But mm -hmm. you definitely have a sense of people not having enough. Ah. And I think I was always getting those values that we wanted everyone to have mm -hmm. enough to succeed. And then I eventually get to an understanding that, too, like through the union movement, too, like I was able to do things that other kids couldn't do unless they had money. Like my father's union had a program where you could go to camp for a month. Um, every kid was like guaranteed one one year and usually and that's how the tragedy was like so few parents took it up that kids could go like me could go multiple years uh, uh -huh. um but like and like so i used to kind of realize that there were like all these kind of like social democratic infrastructures and by that i mean like almost like there was like almost like a welfare state and like for people like me who like had like parents with who had good unions and knew how to use Leverage. those opportunities yeah, yeah, yeah. so like not only like good health benefits which everyone thinks about but also like just going to the plays, like the union paying for plays, going, mm -hmm. getting discounts mm. to go to museums, like those kind of bread and roses values, like, yeah. you know, like where the 
the famous thing where the workers say like we don't want to spend bread yeah we want roses too we want the best things yeah. of life and yeah. i think there was like a real progressive leftist socialist culture that came out even if those unions didn't technically say that's what it was mm -hmm. really really did value that and i think that's what always kind of shaped me politically long term was like well that life isn't just about like you know also like fairness like me feeling bad for that kid it's also about like there's much more life we shouldn't just be suffering right right right. <laughs> and also i think it also why i always kind of reject sometimes i always have uh but like at times it comes and every generation has it in the left too like this idea like suffering brings you closer to god yeah or, yeah yeah or yeah, like yeah. by like being more like miserable yeah, like you're like you're proving yourself, yourself yeah. more and i always think that's like like life is too short yeah to, you don't have to, <laughs> to do like, that to, like, right, do that. right. <laughs> and then you, yeah you mentioned your parents uh were union members what were your what did your parents do for work growing up so my dad has been for essentially as long as i can remember um been a social worker um oh, okay. he for the city no i think he maybe at one point or another had been for the city mm -hmm. um but he got he went to social work school uh, and then was hired, worked for a couple of different unions, um, especially like the, the garment unions that don't exist anymore that mm -hmm. all merged to become Unite Here because mm -hmm. um, that, that union is still mostly just the hotel workers now. Uh -huh. um, but before there were like, especially here, you know, and I'm like pointing as if all you <laughs> listeners can see, but I'm pointing to the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. uh, there was like a lot of garment industries. And yep. so these were dying off. Um, and so they had to, they had needed social workers to help transition the workers to either like finding another career or like oh. retiring, you know. So not a social worker in the traditional sense that people think of like children in, in difficult homes. Correct, or, but correct. But he was a, like, he was a social worker for adults needing to, uh, needing to transition to yeah, different kind of, careers. Yeah, kind of workforce development. You know? Ah, okay. And then okay. he came to more what you would think of in the traditional sense, where, like, what I was discussing earlier, so, like, lots of... So, like, the, where he works for now is technically not a union, though, like, no reasonable person would know the difference. So, mm -hmm. like, there's... <laughs> um, so, a lot of unions, for legal reasons, have to set up benefit programs that are legally uh, separate from them for um, under federal labor law. So he works for not 11.99, he works for 11.99 National Benefit Fund. Uh. Um, and so that's, so like going back to the welfare state, it's like uh, that he then helps, like he would work, he does he does different now stuff with them, but like for most of my life, he was working with like the members with, with substance abuse problems. Mm. And so like they could in-house help people like, and members and their families like yeah. deal with those addictions. And my mother, has is an educator mm. um she when i was super super little i remember she worked um for the spanish institute which is like this kind of like swanky uh like not not part of the spanish government but part of like that they're kind of like like royal royal because it's still a kingdom yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have their like little nobles have this yeah, like yeah. cultural center which uh and so and but then she left that when i was like in middle school and is now like and then you know Got went worked really hard, finished her PhD that she'd been working Whoa. on for years in social. This is after not finishing NYU as a yeah, as a yeah. young lady. Yeah, uh -huh. okay. Yeah, so she has, she had a long detour, as yeah. I say, but but then yeah, so now she teaches at Hunter, Hunter and College. Columbia, yeah, oh, okay. colleges, teachers programs, oh, okay. uh, adjuncting. So she's like at the point of career, she's not looking for tenure, so it's yeah. like she's like 
the people it's like who want to be adjuncts. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Everyone else, I always feel bad for like the adjuncts who are like <laughs> looking sure. for tenure track. Oh uh, yeah, so she's been doing that for a while. It's always did she ever teach like secondary school, primary school? No. Okay. Mm. She was she worked for the Spanish royal hoo ha. Yeah, then yeah. Went back to school, school and, then and then became yeah. an yeah. educator like, yeah. at, at at higher level. Yeah. I got you. Though her her dissertation, which I always wanted to read, was based on though was based on. Um, how much she hated parent-teacher conferences, and mm. so she studied like the pa- so she like inter- she like recorded all these parent-teacher conferences and looked at like the power dynamics huh. and how like teachers can kind of like deflect or yeah. how parents like play Whoa. play these games. And she and so one of her conclusions was like both sides think the other has more power. Yeah, <laughs> and, wow. And, and like and so she's like looking at those power dynamics. Oh, interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, but your was your mother a union member too? Yeah. So with she was, which job? So she now she's a union member with uh, the Progress Professional Staff Congress, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, a te- the, an American Federation of Teachers cha- chapter. Oh, but that okay. pretty much just only represents uh, the City University of New York. I see. Uh, okay. But she worked for uh, she did work for eleven ninety nine too mm-hmm. as a, and she <laughs> she said it was so hard because they were organizing nursing homes and they would do all this in new jersey and they would do all that they get everyone ready mm-hmm. and then other unions would then swoop in oh, <laughs> and steal their committee damn. and she's like she's like and you would just do all this work yeah, yeah, yeah. um and she says she doesn't even think they won anything huh. like in those years she says wow. really hard wow and um but then, and then she was an educator uh union educator with another like remember i was talking before my father worked for i think the International League Garbage Worker Union. She worked for the Amalgamated Clothing Textile Workers Union. Mm-hmm. And just so people know, that's that those merged to become Unite, which then merged to become Unite here. Mm. So like, I ended up, I ended up having this cute thing where I, when I was in college, I ended up interning at Unite. And so I felt uh, there was like this, like <laughs> you were like, coming home. Well, so maybe my kid will be at Unite here. Yeah, right. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, or whatever formation comes next. Right. Hopefully there yeah. will be one. Yes. Describe what it was like growing up in this co-op. Like this is, was it a big building? Was it a high rise? Was it a mid rise? Like, were there other children with families? Like, did you get to like, you know, did you get to just like, you know, roll up in anybody's apartment, you know, with, with who else had a kid and you guys would just, you know, play all the time or, you know, you had neighbors coming to pick you up from school, like describe what it was like living um, sure. in La Lucha. La Lucha. <laughs> you have good memory. Um, <laughs> so there was five, I think, co-ops on the block. Um, five different buildings. Five different buildings. Okay. Um, and we knew people in the other buildings, but our life primarily existed in our own. Yes. So most people um, were, when I was growing up there, were build people with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and people came from different walks of life. But as I was saying earlier, it was mostly, it was mostly Latin leftists, but they weren't always exiles. So like people like my dad, um, uh, and I like, think there were like th- Three other Chilean families, so it was weird. So it was weird. I mean, like oh, most people, and most people were Chilean. It's not like life is. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I learned how not like life is. Um, and they were like either from the Socialist Party, my my, or the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them had kids, and I actually am still in touch with yeah. basically all of them. My parents don't remember them with not much nostalgia, but they were like building meetings. So mm-hmm. like, so this was like the democratic process I, I was talking about, where like you would get together, people mm-hmm. would talk, people would make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would then force my dad to be the president, even though he didn't want to be. Um, you know, and then like people would have their ideological fights. People would then have their 
fights there they're like personal fights but for the kids it was great because yeah, like, yeah. the kids like you had like you could just go hang out like you go play um and so there's just a lot of going to people's parties it was just very sweet yeah uh environment to grow up in and like we used to um you know and i just don't know else how to describe it besides like though it did have the profound effect on me when my finally my the building decided to bring in like an outside management company to help mitigate it. and they said it got a lot better and it kind of like made me realize like you know it's like I think we have this idealized, sometimes we get an idealized version where I still think like workers should like run the means of production, yeah. but it's okay to like have like neutral facilitators. So that yeah. might be like a union. It might be just something else. Like mm-hmm. it's like human beings like are human beings. And yeah, you, and you yeah, have to yeah. like, and it's, it's been interesting to see the conflicts in, um, in throughout, you know, the world. And like with the Sanders campaign, we can, I'd be curious to talk about that too in our revolution where like when you don't have like people who can like be checks and balances nah. and like, and I think that's when things really, when shit hits the fan, there's no other way to put it because like, and I think cause it's like humans can only protect each other so much, you know, sure. and we have to like sometimes just need <laughs> a neutral party to help us out. But it was, but it was so the neighborhood was though very, um, neighborhood has really changed so like it was when i was a kid it was super dangerous what do you um, mean so it was like i think like remember i think i forget if i told you when we were you and i were joking before filming or not but like it was it was like even though like it's like it was a columbia neighborhood you know it was still like Food blocks away was like a huge intersection of like the crack trade, uh-huh. and so you just had. Did like, you understand what that what was going on? I didn't. I didn't like. So I knew. Like I, I was joking actually with my childhood best friend, who I still see. Um, and we were talking about how we would like pick up these like pre- these like beautiful colors mm-hmm. on the playground, and then our family was like, "Please don't pick up the crack vials." Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the like, tops. Yeah, to the yeah, vials. the tops. Uh-huh. Yeah, the tops of the vials. Like those that kind of naivete. Yeah, yeah, naivete, and like, and, and when you're a kid, like. They're obviously like the violence isn't like, if, like you don't probably you're probably less conscious of it in certain ways because it wasn't like a lot of constant violence but like there was a lot of robbery so uh-huh. it was like I remember like our cars getting broken uh-huh. all the time like you know things just like oh, you know you just like you remember that kind of like petty larceny that happens because yeah. people because it's the cycle of like people doing it to su- support yeah. their drug habits yeah. um and that people and we had lots of issues with this like people sell and still there's still people who like. They think it's moved on just to marijuana, but sure. there were like lots of people who just sell open market, yeah, 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 kind of stuff. And there's not a lot you can do. So like, what happened was actually because I mentioned this earlier was like there used to be an Irish neighborhood, yeah. And so for and then so and I mentioned that there were like five buildings, and each building has like most buildings here do like has like a, a storefront, mm-hmm. so the building can make money. Uh-huh. And so we, ours was like this bar mm-hmm. that had been actually a cop bar when it was mm-hmm. an Irish neighborhood, but mm-hmm. when the Irish people left, um, it just became a drug den. No. <laughs> and it originally, so what it, then it was like, and it was just nothing for, it took years of like my family, like, because you have to also negotiate, yeah. like, you can't just be like, leave. And then yeah. we're like, no. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try. Right, <laughs> right, right. Talk. right. Um, and so my, they ended up at one point going to like, they ended up having to go to the archdiocese to like mm-hmm. have them intervene and eventually shut down the bar oh, okay. and everything. And then we just ended up not renting the space out for years because oh, the okay. space was, it was such a, like a traumatic experience. And sure. so it just like, and then so, but then gentrification happens and like, I think the economy changes, mm-hmm. like Giuliani comes in error, error. And I'm not giving him credit. I'm just saying like, there was like, 
because he kind of steps in when like the economy's starting to get better and yeah. like things will start changing and like so the neighborhood eventually gets like it's like I, I now I just like I recognize it because like it doesn't gentrify in the same way because like people there's enough middle class people who can't get pushed out mm-hmm. and there's enough stores but like one of my jokes is like now there's like just as many Chinese restaurants except they're all authentic and they're not takeout because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there's all these like rich Columbia students yeah. who are Chinese who go there. There's just a lot more mm. fancy rest, fancy places to eat. Mm-hmm. The bars are more trendy. They're not as like like George Carlin used to go to like he grew up around there and used to go to the bar he used uh, to go to in high school. So it was much more like you know it was much more like a homey feel. Uh-huh. And like I think things are now much more like serving a higher clientele with mm. people who are kind of getting pushed out. And so I don't, so when I grew up there, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I mean, to be honest, I'm sure it's like a better neighborhood mm. now. I mean, just objectively sure. speaking, it's safer. It's probably more amenities. Like I think about like when you and I were walking here, like, I mean, like, I mean, the park was pretty, there was like several parks. There's this gorgeous park morning side. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget going to a fourth grade summer party. And the dad's like, don't go in the lake because they find bodies there. Just kind of stay oh. here because it was just like because it was such a poor. It was such like the, the crime rates were so bad. Uh-huh. And now it's like this gorgeous park. Yeah, and we're yeah, like yeah. with That's all these deep. like pretty families. You would never with yeah. the farmer's market. You would never, sure, sure, never sure. know that would happen. So it's subjectively nice. But it's like what's what the questions are. And I think about this in the neighborhood we're in, too. But where are people going to go? Sure. Like it's like these are all like the like there's no it's not like things magically just change for the better. Sure. <laughs> Usually no, no, consequences. No. Hmm. Um, so did you have an understanding of like class as it were uh, growing up? Like what did you, how did you understand your family and your community's like class? Like there's on the one hand, you know, you guys uh, are part owners in this co-op on the Upper East Side, what, you know, that is still in the midst of kind of, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, we were ownership so, class. <laughs> yeah, crime, but, um, but, the, you know, your parents had to work for a living. They weren't idle wealthy. So like, but how did you understand your family's like class? Standing yeah, that's a up? fascinating question. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too, I think. Which I'll talk about my family in a second, too. But like you're I grew up with the gift and talent program. Uh, also, they were still busing in my I don't know if they still do that anymore, but like. So a lot of my friends were robust from Harlem, even though the neighborhood was technically like on the border of Harlem, there were still kids further into Harlem who would get bust in. So you would meet. So the key, so the, the economic backgrounds of the kids, as much as kids could tell, like could tell some kids definitely had more than other kids. Mm-hmm. And you could always tell the kids who had the country house and the kids who mm. like definitely did not have yeah, a yeah, second yeah. home. Sure. Um, and so you were kind of conscious of that too. And I think I was conscious that, my parents didn't have a lot of money when I was super little. Like, we even had a roommate for a few years, mm-hmm. which is always kind of funny to me when, like, you could be in a relationship now. People, like, would be in, like, be like oh, no, I'm, I'm too old now to have a roommate. I'm like, I had no, roommates when yeah. I was, like, two years old. Like, yeah, like, right. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That's <laughs> right. To make ends Yeah, meet. so they yeah. had to make ends. So they would have roommates. But my And my grandparents, because my grandfather had been, like, an executive. Uh, Your maternal or, grandfather. Yeah, maternal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, like, doing fine. Like, I used to, like... And so I had like, and so we could do, we could do the escape too. Like, so I remember my mom's, I asked my mom, I was like, why don't we have a country house? She's like, yeah, and grandpa's house is our country house. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, a dodge. Like, yeah, she was yeah, like yeah. we couldn't afford it, but it was actually, objectively it was true. Like what we would have, what I would have probably gotten out of it as mm-hmm. a kid, especially at that age yeah. was the same thing. It's like, you go to the Westchester, you like have right. a big yard. Like, you know, I was like, my parents still say like, I used to like, when I was really little, I would like, if I ever saw grass, I'd be like, well, 
I would just say the name of the town because uh -huh. I assume that's where we were going. Oh, because <laughs> yeah, I, I get like so I would get excited. Like, yeah. It's like we get so pumped, mm -hmm. you know. And so you could tell like, so I had the sense that people had like more than us. And I also feel like there's like you have to acknowledge too. And I remember there's this really good book, Honky, where I identified. <laughs> it was a sociologist kind of autobiography who, similar to me, who went to actually ended up going to the same high school. Um, where you like you might not have all as much money. But you also have these escapes that other people don't have. Yeah, yeah, so even yeah. if my parents like still need a roommate, still we're not like making bank. Like mm -hmm. we could still like go to Westchester for a weekend. Yeah, you yeah. know other people just can't do that. Sure. And so you get conscious of like who has like. So you who, knew you understood that there are, there are families that you families or people you came into contact with that had more than yeah. than what you and your your parents had. But you also were conscious of the fact that like there are people who have less or or are not able to do the things that we can do like one of the things being going to Westchester and like yeah. hanging out at your grandparents house yeah okay but yeah. you but did you feel like more or less most children live like you more mm -hmm. or less I think maybe more or less like okay. I think that it was like and I think you become more conscious in middle school yeah like in elementary school it's like too hard you're really just spending nothing <laughs> yeah it's just yeah when you, when you when you finally can like start spending money you start getting more conscious mm -hmm. of like who Sometimes, sometimes my parents probably could have given me more money for lunch. They chose not to because yep. of their own values. But their kids was like parents of like, because we could go out for lunch by the seventh grade. Oh. And so you could like, and I sometimes I wonder if it was just to save, the school could save money and not yeah, provide school lunches. Sure. You can see the kids who were like, you know, could just get pizza and the kids were like, let's go get sushi every once in a while. Whoa. You know, it's just like, so that's when like these like differences Fishers. start like uh -huh. hitting where you don't notice them as much. I see. As a kid, you know, hmm. and. What, how would your. How would your parents, your family, have described you as a child? <laughs> uh, creative to <laughs> kind of. I think creative would be the nice thing, and I think they also. What do you say, mean? Creative would be the nice thing. I because like I mean I was like because I was the only child, but I was like super crabby. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, like I'm I'm, a, I'm more gregarious now and fun, but yeah, I was yeah. like a little pain in the ass. <laughs> what do you? In what way? Tell me. Oh, what one way was I was just like because I was the only child. Like I was, like were you petulant? Were you moody? I, I'm moody, moody, because I was always like, what I was very good about compared to other only children, I will pat myself on the back, was I was good about sharing. Like, uh -huh. I wasn't like one of those, like, that's mine. Mm -hmm. Not, I didn't take my ball and go home sure. kind of kid. But I was like, I was like, if I can get my way, I'd pout and like yeah. stomp my feet and okay. like be a little crabby. And like, yeah. <laughs> and, like and like, I didn't have to, because I didn't have anyone else to balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no one else like, I was like the star of the show there, especially because yeah, yeah. I was also the oldest grandchild. So it also oh, gave me yeah. a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. on both ends mm -hmm. um but what did you mean when you said creative we creative so like i really um i was a good drawer um mm -hmm. not i was good as other people but like i really love to draw mm -hmm. also was like su super good imagination so mm -hmm. at one point i even my partner actually has pushed me to start like writing creatively which i don't do mm -hmm. so she had, put, had me enter like dictionary.com contest we'll see how i do for like a short oh. intro but like i i, I wrote like i remember to have like my play, mm -hmm. my play won an award oh, for like I wrote this cool. like Thomas Jefferson having writer's block. Oh, um, I had this like interesting idea about oh, that, and then these professional actors like did it, and it was like this really cool. So oh, I've had like a good like creative mind, mm -hmm. but and also like, and I but I like, yeah, and so I think that's what I was. But I was like, I mean, I was I'm sure a star athlete. Like, okay, <laughs> but did you like sports at all? I love sports. Yeah, I mean, I loved uh, especially basketball. Oh, okay. Okay. Here, which okay. I was Were you nice with it? No. <laughs> No, I was pretty bad. No, no I was, I was a good, good super fan. I still have one of my cards, but, okay. uh, right. but no, but so, so yeah, so then my outlet had to be more creativity. Sure, sure, so sure. that's where like, 
I was, and like, but that's what I said. I was moody, like in the sense, like also, like, like, <laughs> like my my. Like my mom, my mother's like, like she's like, it's, it's nice that you're caring about these kids, but you can't do anything about them. So yeah. like, you know, maybe go have fun too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and my like my child, my like, my other parents were like, he's just so serious. Like, <laughs> like, cause they were saying like I would shake hands very seriously. Oh, like very earnestly. Yeah, very earnestly. Cause also cause like anything is part of like not having siblings. Like you like kind of just becoming a a young adult yeah, earlier yeah, yeah. because you're just only talking to yeah, you're adults. Gr- right, you're only around <laughs> other adults. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's how they would describe me. I think and. I presume that because you were in the gifted and talented uh, program in school that you were you were a good student. But like what type of student were you in addition to the creativity? Like were you extremely bookish? Were you extremely, you know, like on it when it came to your studies? I was for years. I was on it. I think I like and I've always been a pretty good student. Uh, It was always never the best uh, where I was. Um, but I think that's all relative. Um, I was actually really good at math, which is very funny. Hmm. I've kind of come back to that because I think Excel has like reinvigorated my interest in math. Oh like, my God. Uh, don't say that out I know, loud. I know. Either. It's Ugh. just like, I love that shit. Um, <laughs> but like, I was like, definitely like, I remember was, um, like, but then I like just lost interest in it. I became much more interested in, in you came much less interested in, in math. math. Uh-huh. And then my, cause my great aunt, God rest her soul. She gave me like these. Uh, this two volume history of the U.S. And mm. I just like loved it. Oh, and I like there was a turn being, into yeah. History. It was like yeah, I kind of became much more interested in like the humanities. Ah, okay. Um, which is actually interesting because like my writing wasn't particularly strong for mm-hmm. years. I think it's gotten a lot better because I've like worked at it yeah, like yeah, tirelessly. Yeah. Like um, it's something I always tell people. Like sometimes it's like people are like. Just um, takes a while. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 37 years old and I'm finally getting right published. On. Everyone's like, nice. all these young DSAers are like 24. Like, uh, I've been publishing. I'm like, it's okay. Right. When I was, when I was your second. age. I was like, no one gave a shit. <laughs> so I was like, you'll be fine. Right, um, right. Yeah. So I focused much more on humanities, and then but I was it up, history only in regards to the humanities that really like lit you up, or yeah, was history it only. Okay. Yeah, and like, and, and then eventually like learning more about political science, and I think like what I kind of like. This is like my hopefully will be my only like old man person boomer comment is like, you know, like one thing I really miss. This is my own self-control, but it is an issue is like, you know, before smartphones Mm -hmm. like and I would be seeing my friends across the city like you had to keep yourself busy on these long train rides. And I just read so Uh, much mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. than I do now because now I'm like, even I bring the book, I'm always like. In my pocket, I'm like my pocket. I'm like, oh, let me just play one game of Angry Birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> let me yeah. just check them. Let me just check my email one more time. Yeah, that's right. But like, I read all these classics on the on the train, like these political theory classics, mm-hmm. and like, I really not as a child though. That was not a child. Came later. High school. Okay. High school. Well, what I'm, were some of the what were some of the eras or epochs of history that really interested you as a child or as an adolescent when you got into history? I think, you know, no one's ever asked me that, and I haven't really thought about it. I think I'm just remembering what I really found interesting. I'm trying, trying to think of when she gave me that book. was actually, like, the 19th century. And, oh, like, okay. and, like, understanding, like, what happened in the United States that really, huh. really, like, that we still live with today. And mm. I think sometimes we, like, I think we all know intellectually, and I think, like, even though sometimes, like, the more sophisticated people be like, finish reconstruction you know be kind of be like a model but like we're still fighting like the, the same mm-hmm. like fights that mm-hmm. are like from the 1840s and 50s mm-hmm. like whether in new york too whether it's less about slavery per se but it's like nativist versus immigrant yeah. and like you just see these parallels in history mm-hmm. 
kind of repeating over that get unresolved ah. and these tensions. And I always just thought that was so fascinating and trying to figure out how do you overcome ah. come that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, if, and that's when you kind of realize there has to be like collective struggle. Yeah. And like a lot of, it's not just like, not just like diverse faces in high places. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's the right. solution. Yeah, that's right. To that, because you see like how like groups get integrated in. Yeah. Like, who is white changes. Like, that's right. It wasn't. It, so it expanded. Once it was Italians, and now it's Italians. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's no. right. So that, that isn't the solution. So I thought those were really interesting. And then getting to understand, but also like understanding global history. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, I was like, such a dork but like it was like, but like and so my parents would buy me the almanac and i would religiously read like all those like very superficial but histories of the, all the countries huh. and so i would learn a lot and like i would learn like their literacy rates and i would like oh, wow. really try to understand what was going on in the world mm-hmm. and like how the world was so different i even remember realizing like all these countries seem to have even this is before like after the fall of the Soviet Union, all these countries still had socialists in their names. Yeah. And like, and like, why is that? And like, mm-hmm. understanding like, what are like, mm-hmm. y- you know, people that there's this whole world out there that's not the United States. Yeah. yeah Even yeah. in my leftist like enclave, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. dominating. And like, I think that was always really kind of shaped me and like trying to understand mm-hmm. how the world works. Ah, okay. Um, what what was the plan for you? at the end of high school like were you expected to go to college did you want to go to college did you not like what was the what was the yeah. plan i was definitely expected to go to college i definitely want to go to college oh, okay. um i think so i went to a specialized high school mm-hmm. uh called bronx high school of science ah. um so for those who don't know there's like i think there's probably now more but when i was in school there were like four specialized schools you would take a test mm-hmm. to get into a new the york arts city one. there was oh there was the arts one too uh-huh. and then there was hunter uh, Stuyvesant, Stuyvesant, Bronx Science, yeah. and Brooklyn Tech. Uh-huh. Um, and like, so like, Jumani Williams, who's our, who's like, people may know he's like the DSA public advocate in New York. He went to Brooklyn Tech. Like, mm-hmm. lots of people, mm-hmm. uh, successful people go, went to those schools because it was kind of, a, and they're really, and they kind of fit into also that gifted and talented issue where like you need these schools to kind of like, because we don't have neighborhood, good neighborhood schools per se. Mm-hmm. So you need schools where like people, Middle class people want to stay in the city, mm-hmm. um, and so Bronx Science, like it was like ninety nine percent of the students were in military or high school or college, like when they graduated. Oh, okay. it was like uh-huh. like very. What was, the com- what was the what was the class and racial composition of it, Bronx it Science? Vary, it varies. It varies over time, but when was, you were there, when I was there, mm-hmm. but like it was fifty percent Asian. By mm-hmm. that I mean East Asian and yeah. South Asian. Uh-huh. Um, then it was probably twenty twenty five percent white uh maybe a little more maybe a little less mm-hmm. and then probably 20 percent black and hispanic maybe almost oh, wow. like, probably more hispanic than black hmm. um and you know give or take here mm-hmm. in there um at something i think about a lot is like you know like i'm one of the few alumni who are open to like um getting rid of the like having things besides the test be a factor in because right yeah. now it's like you you live or die by the test, uh, and that's kind of like creating a lot of the racial disparities. Yeah, of course. And I and I realized I think it's like it's it's actually kind of like white people and black and brown people are united on that. Uh-huh. And part of it is because I think white people are kind of like we got ours. So mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like I'm like it's a sunk cost. You could do whatever with the school now uh-huh. you want. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the school used to be the school has gotten increasingly actually it's less diverse. Oh, than now. So that, that's what the touch is like. It was actually more especially black. 
and brown mm -hmm. when I was there mm -hmm. than it is now. And oh, that well. doesn't reflect what the city looks like. That's kind of the things that make me sad about the city. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like, just, it's become such a, like a microcosm of the equity fights yeah. where you have people fighting over like really what should be public resource. They're fighting over public resources yeah. that should be egalitarian. Yeah, that's right. Know? But they're so scarce. Yeah. And everybody. so like, yeah, but to answer your question a little further too, I mean, like we had like college tours. I mean, like mm. it was totally yeah. different. And like, I ended up going to a small school in Maine mm -hmm. that no one else wanted to, because I was kind of like going back to like, <laughs> you asked me what I was, I was becoming, I was moody. And the moody, when you're a moody kid, you can, can become like a, a dick <laughs> as you get older. You were, so you became an even moodier teenager? Yeah, I was a moodier teenager. Okay. And like, and I had good values, but they were like not being like um, expressed and in the best way. And I think also like the left wasn't like, the left was so weak back then too. Yeah. So there wasn't like really a lot for me. It was a good place for me to channel my energy. So mm -hmm. I ended up getting involved in like the anti-sweatshop work, mm -hmm. which was a profound effect in, on in me. In college or in, in high school? High school. Okay, okay. So like I ended up like doing, um, so like the, there was like the student committee against labor exploitation, which mm. I'm still in touch with nice. a few of those folks. Um, but it was like, so we would meet like once every two weeks and like some like, small NGO and mm -hmm. like, I don't even know what we did besides like protesting Nikes but it was, it was, and writing letters to like sure. Toys R Us. I remember Toys R Us wrote back to me. They were like, we're not exploiting children. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, sure you are. Sure you are, giraffe. <laughs> Whatever his name was. Um, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Jeffrey is a believable guy. <laughs> um, uh, but there wasn't a lot of ways to challenge that. So I ended up like kind of feeling like, I ended up making a wise decision, especially how old I was. I was like, I'm going to go far away. Uh-huh. And when I get to college, I'm just going to focus on nice people. <laughs> okay. Because you, you, why, ah, why did you, why was, why was that how you languished that memory? Was it just because you wanted to be less moody? You, yeah, I just felt like I could see myself becoming like a jerk and like, oh, I didn't okay. want to become like okay. a jerk. So and you were like, like, let me go to East Jesus nowhere in Maine yeah. and like touch some grass, yeah. get to know people who smile. Perhaps I will become one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it was cold. <laughs> yeah, of course. Good grief! That, I, everybody's brother. There's a good Facebook group, like the petition to move like Bowdoin someplace warmer because it was just like no. it was a great school. But God, yeah, it was no. like by November first, you're like, what have I done? What am I doing? Did you did you know what you wanted to be when you were matriculating uh, college, or did you know what you wanted to study when you when you left? Yeah, I knew. It's so funny. Like I was. Very positive I was going to be a lawyer for most of my life. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, and that's then the I'll like, get into like yeah. well, a good conversation I had about that. And then, and so like naturally what I was like, I uh, wanted to then study government. But mm -hmm. then I also, because of the anti sweatshop work I'd been doing and I had been lucky and I got to, I got a scholarship that they gave to like two students to, from a number of high schools. Mm -hmm. I got to go to China mm -hmm. in 2000, 2000. Okay. Um, for several weeks, which I really like, was a very impressionate in a very like impactful trip on my yep. life. Um, and I got to see like really a country that was, um, you know, clearly opening, it's not been opening up, but was really trying to yeah. open up. It was, and it was like kind of comparing it to Chile was like, cause they're both were like not developing countries, but yeah. it's also how can you say China's developing? It's like a 5,000 year old yeah, yeah. country, but like was like definitely trying to catch up in terms of like standards of living yeah. to the U S and was like there. And like, and I was like, you know, and, and its own complicated legacy with like leftism. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what I want to do is like, I would be interested in like what I thought I was going to do. Uh, was like, do like workers rights 
uh, solidarity in China. So uh, like oh. I ended up becoming an East Asia studies major too, and I oh, studied okay. Chinese for several years. I've, I'm pretty sure I've lost it most of it, <laughs> but um, but like studying the history, and I ended up studying abroad mm-hmm. um, in Hong Kong, where okay. I ended up uh, interning at China Labor Bulletin, which mm-hmm. is like this fascinating group that was founded by a guy Han Dongfang um, who most people think of when they think of the Tiananmen Square massacre think yeah. of the students but he was actually one of the workers ah. uh, though, though there were worker contingents mm-hmm. too uh, there and so he then went to Hong Kong mm-hmm. um, and started this NGO that um, one of the things they helped do which I thought was really like I think people kind of like sons are too black and white about China where it's like and so this is kind of like this good gray area where they're like China, because it's like a technically a socialist country, yeah. like has really good worker laws on paper. They're just not enforced. Right. And so what they do is they help like work with friendly judges or get things or like help file, help workers like file injunctions mm-hmm. to like actually get whenever possible, like was to get stuff, pa- uh, get to get back pay and stuff. And mm-hmm. so it's like this interesting balance. But that's what I thought I wanted to do. For you wanted you. to, you're saying professionally, when you looked out on your life after, yeah. after studying abroad, or, or going through this program where you went to China yeah. um, as an adolescent, you wanted to become a lawyer in order to help the ish, the cause of workers' rights in China. Yeah. Okay. But and so in accordingly, you studied East Asian studies mm-hmm. in undergrad. Did you graduate with that degree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. I graduated with that degree, mm-hmm. and then I um, and I remember then I was pretty sure I wanted to be a labor lawyer or something along those lines. Yeah. And then I'll never forget. But then I ended up working for. Uh, DSA as the youth organizer huh. and like which was not actually like and I was still taking Chinese classes mm-hmm. at one point I was still taking Chinese classes but then I'll never forget this professor uh, I was visiting we we're both in Arkansas of all places and this like uh, we were speaking to a DSA chapter there mm-hmm. um, so this professor came with me and he, he was like what do you want to do David he was like I was like I want to be a lawyer he was like really <laughs> and he pauses and he's like and a good professor away he's like have you ever gone to a law class i was like no it's <laughs> like well, why don't you go do that yeah. and let me know and he's like go talk do that uh, and i ended up doing that and i was like and i went to like a sat in some people's classes i talked to them and i was like and like when i remember just like people saying which i thought was like very helpful advice they're like unless you're 100 percent sure you want to be a lawyer don't be a lawyer nah and so i didn't so that's when i decided i wasn't going to do it because like if i was like if i'm not like 100 percent there like what about it what about sitting in on those classes and talking to people other than them telling you like waving you off i'm saying like what did you experience or see or that didn't really like light you up well i couldn't like <laughs> it's like i it's like i couldn't there's only no other way to say this like i couldn't honestly say like why i wanted to do it okay it you just know, sounded like something it sounded like something sounded like something, something you're like always told it would make sense but yep. then you're like then you're like why do you want to do it and it reminds me of like <laughs> when ted kennedy got in when Ted Kennedy was running for president, like, why do you want to be president? He like gave some like rambly answer. He's like, he didn't really have an answer besides yeah. like, I'm know. a Kennedy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we do. Just probably, like, I'm a Kennedy. Why shouldn't I be yeah. president? Yeah. But he couldn't. He knew he couldn't say that, so he gives like yeah, some, some like winded answer. Sure. So someone asked me, why do you want to be a lawyer? I'd been like, well, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, and right. It's like, isn't no, that it's a like path. So, so I think like I don't even know. <laughs> I'm kind of like giving you such meandering no, answers, no, but yeah, like, no. but I ended up like, so I ended up like being like, okay, I don't want to do that. And it kind of was like both liberating and scary. Cause you're like, 
I don't know what I want to do right. now. That was my plan. That was my plan. Like, and I got to figure what something out. What do I do? So when I, was when what, what year of college was this? This was no after college. This was like two. Oh, this was after, after you college. had graduated. Yeah, so okay, I graduated okay. and I was like working for DS. So like you you work for so the youth organizer position used to be like understood um, to be a two year job mm. like. Um, so like I was going to do that. Then I was like, Oh, then I'll like go, go to law school. Go to school. And then I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and that was like, that's when I realized like I had a lot I could do in the States. And that's mm-hmm. when I became less interested in, in going back to Asia. Oh, okay, um, okay. even though like I really cared about it. Like, cause can, I, can I ask you a question yeah. that I forgot to ask at the end of college? What like what was your where were you politically ideolo- ideologically were you still very much you know that red diaper baby who'd grown up and now you were a red diaper or red underwear that's weird red boxer uh, briefs. yeah <laughs> red boxer briefs <laughs> college graduate or what like were you like was there anything that had like moderated your stances over the years or were you still very much like your parents' child so like when I got to Bowdoin, um, I was. I was definitely a socialist. Yeah. I've been like, I was probably not, I wouldn't call myself a revolutionary anymore. Mm-hmm. I moderated him that way, but like, always I kind of like, so that's why I'm always somewhat, I'm always still like sympathetic to people who are like, I'm a revolutionary, mm-hmm. I'm a revolutionary. I'm like, yeah, that's that's good. Like, because I, sometimes it's like, sometimes it's just the moment's not there. So yeah. it's like, you're like, well, I was like, what's the point? For me, it was kind of like, why are we calling ourselves revolutionaries under when Bush has like 80% approval rate? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah right, like, right. Like, well, what does like, that what, mean? What, what's that, what does that even mean yeah. right now? Um, and I, um, and I had made this we- part of my like packs where I was like, like the same one I was like, I'm not going to like, I'm going to go to school to be nicer. I, I was like, you know, there's a lot of left wing organizations out there. I'll wait till I'm 18 to join one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I set that arbitrary age, okay. maybe because it's just like when people say you're an adult, but yeah. I was like, I was like, cause I saw, I just saw a lot of people getting burnt out and mm-hmm. I just didn't. And so I ended up like looking at a bunch of different groups. Um, and I knew about DSA, like I said earlier, through my parents. And I started going to, the, I pretty much went religiously to these conferences that were f- once called the Social Scholars Conference, then became Left Forum in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I would see like all the left-wing groups, the ones who are inside, the ones who are tabling outside, saying yeah. the other people were all reactionaries yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. sellouts. Um, and I remember just like picking up the DSA literature and being like, you know, this is a group for me. Mm-hmm. And so I was in college um, and I joined DSA probably at the end of my freshman year. Um, Which would have been? 2003. Okay. Um, and then I find that there's like a democratic socialist group on campus already mm-hmm. um, that wasn't affiliated. It was just um, called Students for Democratic Socialism, mm-hmm. but wasn't affiliated with DSA in mm-hmm. any way. Mm-hmm. Um and I, uh, and I, um, and I just got involved in that. Mm-hmm. And so like, and then I ended up getting it affiliated with like what's now called the Young Democratic Social of America. Um, and, but, and so for context too, like we were talking about size, I mean, like, you know, there were like, I found <laughs> like where I'm not a doomer nostalgist is like, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, you know, we had no idea what the other chapters were doing. Cause mm-hmm. like, we had the internet, like it was, but there wasn't like Facebook wasn't really as prominent. Like right. if you didn't, if like, so if the organization didn't update the website, yeah. like you, you, were in the like, dark. you were just like, didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And so like, so we had like no idea how small we were. And then we get to like these. So I go to like, I remember going to my first summer conference, like in 2004, when we're like uh, getting ready to defeat. George Bush with John Kerry is going to do it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, boy. oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. Oh boy. Dark times. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's just like, a f- like 
30 kids at these conferences, you're like, really? This is it? Like, mm. you're like, but like, but I'm so ideologically committed. It didn't matter. Uh-huh. But like, I look back, I'm always like, that was a thinking. Like, <laughs> I could have been doing other things. Yeah, um, a lot sure. of other things. Um, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I was very, but I answered, so I was still my parent child and I was like very committed. It didn't matter how big this was or small this was. And I ended up, and I ended up look back like, and I'm glad I did it because, like, I mean, like, the story I always tell, which I'll tell you, is, like, I mean, it was, like, I got to do things now in retrospect that's, like, incredible, like, mm-hmm. because I was part of this small organization. So, it was, one, it was easy then to rise to the top because yeah. it was, like, no one was. Yeah, you're like, one of 30. Yeah, the, the, one of people. So, like, yeah. no, these these elections were, like, it was, like, the only, it was, like, the only uncontested elections that it weren't, weren't because of corruption. It was just, like, no one cared. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, just weren't enough people to do sure. it. So, I ended up be running for international secretary. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, when I got to study abroad in Hong Kong, um, there was uh, this meeting in Thailand of, like, socialist youth. And so, there, I was like, oh, I should just go. Like, I'm, when am I ever going to get to go to one of these meetings again? Let me just go now. And my friend goes, oh, yeah, like, you know, my friend, uh, I, I have a friend who's going uh you know from new zealand you should go meet her at the airport i was like oh cool so i just email her and like we get to meet up and, and now she's just the prime minister so it was just, <laughs> it was just in our turn really <laughs> yeah because we were like she was, she was only a few years older than me wow. like so yeah she was just like in her 20s then and she wow, was like wow, wow. and then we ended up like and like we stayed in touch for years like, sure. you know, like oh she's a little she's a little busy now so yeah, I, I, I don't i don't i don't dm her as much <laughs> but, i don't hold it against her but, but but that was also those incredible things where like we could do it because like we were like in this weird niche of like being part of this real historic international socialist movement yeah. and being 25 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in part two, you'll see how his major in East Asian studies, and borrowing from Mao's playbook in particular, helped him build up DSA student chapters, and why he's now working on building a left version of ALEC for progressive electeds. Jazzy stuff, I must say. Part two is up on the Patreon right now. Head on over to patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's left to do. Okay, see you over on Patreon. Patreon.